holy and gracious, merciful Savior, as we come tonight into your house, we pray that you open our ears and our minds and our hearts to the word you have for each and every one of us this day. And as I, your servant, stand before you, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. From Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We've done this since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people. You have this faith and love because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You previously heard about this hope through the true message, the good news, which has come to you. This message has been bearing fruit and growing among you since the day you heard and truly understood God's grace in the same way that it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. That's how Paul starts this letter to the people in the city of Colossus. And he's writing them this letter from prison. And it's interesting when you think about that, because though he's been battered and beaten, he's been shipwrecked, he's experienced all, kind of, all kinds of hardships, here he is in jail reaching out to one of the churches along his journey. And he's sending them this letter of encouragement, this letter of hope, this letter to remind them of what was most important in the world. And from his place in prison, where he had stripped away all the trappings of the world, everything that he knew as a Roman citizen, someone who had rights that were higher than many of the rights of the other people in the community, on this place of being away from all the privileges that he had by his education and other opportunities, all of that's stripped away. And he's getting to the very basic core of the faith. And that is accepting Jesus Christ as the center of everything. There's this gospel song that says, Jesus be the center of it all. And when we think about that, we know that there's this long history that we have from the Old Testament, lots of ways that we come to understand who God is. But from the beginning of time, even as the earth was formed in creation, we speak of the word of God breathing into creation, bringing forth life. And Christ was part of that. What this letter sets up is a part of what we call Christology. Say that with me, Christology. Christology. It looks like Christology, like we're studying it in school. But Christology is studying who Jesus is at the very center of of his being. And when we look at who Christ is, 
Colossians outlines that for us so beautifully. And while Paul is writing to these people, he breaks out in song. It's funny, we had this conversation in my house last night because Asher was, was talking about how some rapper that he was listening to was serving time in jail. And we said, well, we're not really surprised by that because that's all they rap about in these songs you listen to. They're always talking about guns and violence and horrible things. I know, I should pay more attention to what my kids listen to, but I'm not into censorship. So Paul, though, he's not singing this song about guns and violence and crime in prison. And I was flipping through albums even yesterday in the record store because my pharmacy is also a record store. And I'm thinking, I'm living in some 16-year-old's dream to sell drugs and records. <laughs> And I'm flipping through, and there's Johnny Cash in one of his favorite, one of his favorite famous albums, you know, Buy from Prison. Was it Folsom Prison or another prison? I don't know. He made a lot of albums from prison. So we're getting a little bit closer to what that was because he was singing to prisoners to try to bring them hope and try to give them a sense that there was something outside. And that's what this is right here. This passage of scripture we have tonight, smack in the middle of a letter, is a song. And not just any kind of song. It's a hymn about Jesus Christ. It's a hymn about everything that Christ has done. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation. See, I wasn't making it up when I said that. It's right there in scripture. That Jesus was there at the beginning and the foundation of the world. Because all things were created by him, both in the heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible, whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I wish I could speak or read Greek, because I'm sure it probably rhymes better like a song if we had the original language. But what we have to get at is, is what this means. That Christ existed before all things and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. The one who is firstborn from among the dead. That speaks right there to resurrection. So that he might occupy the first place in everything. Because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him. And he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or in the heavens. He brought peace through the blood of his cross. He's singing this hymn to remind the people in Colossus that they have to keep Jesus in the center. Because these people are, are getting distracted by every other type of discussion of Gods with little g and things in their community. They're, they're propping Jesus up alongside all of these other avenues to experience God. It's kind of like if we said, oh yeah, well there's Buddha and there's Muhammad and then there's this guy Jesus and they're all really cool guys. 
is reminding people of is that you have to restore Christ as the preeminent one because he wasn't just a teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He wasn't just someone who came and led a group of people for a little bit of time. But he was the creator of the heavens and the earth made flesh to walk among us, to be with us, to help us as our comforter, to help us as our healer, to reconcile us. That means to bring us back to God. But even though Paul is writing this letter and he's bringing all of these words to the Colossians, he's not doing it in an arrogant way. In fact, what we find here is what Eugene Peterson, the theologian and, and great translator of the scriptures, called a rooted humility. Paul recognized that when you realize that Christ is the true center, there is nothing that can stand to be compared to Jesus. None of us stand a chance. Christ has done the greatest of all actions in the world. Christ alone has brought us salvation. Christ alone has given us our hope. And what we have here in this, in this letter is what Peterson calls a wedding of Paul's brilliant, uncompromising intellect with a heart that is warm and wonderfully kind. He recognizes that while the people may have some confusion as they get back to what it looks like to put Christ in the center, as they, they are people who are invited to sing songs and hymns to Christ throughout their days and wherever they travel, he does it by reminding them of just how much Christ has done to show his love for the world. And this is a book in this letter that captures how we live as God's people in response to that. It goes on, and we always like to give you guys homework. And so I say go home and read the whole letter. But it goes on to tell us how this means we live in the world. That when we have Christ as the center of our being, that informs the way we live in our households. It talks about how husbands are supposed to love their wives. It also has a little bit about how women are supposed to listen to their husbands. We get a little uncomfortable <coughs> with that language sometimes. But again, all of that, those relationships, are all rooted in the love that Jesus Christ has for his church. So when we serve one another, when we are submissive from time to time, when we let others have the upper hand occasionally, it's because we recognize that Jesus gave all of himself for us, and we pour out our love for one another. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes... I get a little defensive. And so if things aren't going my way, I'll say, well, I'm just not going to deal with that person. And I'll get real angry about them. And I'll turn, I'll turn my back on them. And I'll, I, won't, I won't even want to deal with them. Is anyone with me in that? Anybody ever have that experience? Yeah, like raising a fist. <laughs> Serves them right. They, they just don't know. 
That's not what Colossians tells us we have to do, which means why it's one of those books that makes me hang my head sometimes. But it talks about how we have to be people who pour ourselves out. And even though it says, wives, submit to your husbands in a way that is appropriate in the Lord, it says, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. I love this line. Children, obey your parents in everything because this pleases the Lord. But then parents, we have the very next line. Parents, don't provoke your children in a way that ends up discouraging them. See see how that plays together? Sometimes we do take a role that is a servant. Sometimes we do step back and let the other rule in our lives, but we do it because they are going to do the same for us. It's this mutual love and respect and care that we have. That's what the community is. And so it's not just how we experience life in our households, but it's everywhere. So even when we get to challenging passages in this book of the Bible, I want you to see it in in this light of Christ calling us all to pour ourselves out in love for one another. Because Paul says, over all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called in one body. And be thankful Again, Paul's not writing this at a beautiful desk overlooking the gorgeous scenery outside his window. He's writing this from prison. And yet his heart is full of thanksgiving. His heart is full of gratitude and full of love and full of all of the hope that these people can have when they realize what Christ has done. And as we go into this week, where we're all supposed to be thankful people anyway, we're we're supposed to sit around the table and share those blessings. Some years it's harder than others to come up with things to be thankful for. Amen? So I want you to remember Paul saying all of these words. That when we reflect on the core of who we are as people who are Jesus's claimed beloved If we begin with that, then the other blessings become more evident. The other heartache becomes a little easier to bear. And just maybe a song of thanksgiving, a hymn like this, will well up within your heart. And in that moment, you'll sing and you will praise and worship. Amen. As we are God's people, Paul reminds us that the grace of Christ is with us, and that is a grace and a peace that goes beyond this world and into eternity. So we'll stand and sing together our closing hymn, When We All Get to Heaven.
You are to sing this with joy. And you will receive our offering. What version? Uh, Who do we want? Do we want Willie or the casting crowns that we had last week? Mm. <laughs> Willie? All right. Willie it is.